0: I'm no Betty or Veronica, not even Jughead. Don't you call me a Reggie, I'd rather be caught dead. Just two friends who don't know who they want to be. Let's see them figure it out on Archie and Me. Welcome to Archie and Me, and Archie Comics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Brandon. And today we are bringing
1: you a a wonderful interview that we had with the director of editorial at Archie Comics, Jamie Lee Rotante. Talked about all things Archie, both stuff that she's written, and obviously her work as director of editorial.
0: It was a fantastic talk, and we're so happy to welcome Jamie.
1: Jamie, welcome to Archie and Me. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So when we interview people, we always ask, uh, what was your first entry into the world of Archie? And how did you end up starting to work for them?
2: Yeah, so I think my first sort of introduction to Archie in general is pretty similar to a lot of people's. Um, I, I actually recalled it today on Twitter, so it's top of mind. I remember being about seven or eight years old, and there was a local pharmacy that I would go to sometimes with my grandma, and they had this whole, like, toy section in the back. Um, but they had a really nice newsstand section that not only had Digest, but also had the floppy comics as well. And I remember grabbing a Betty and Veronica and my grandma seeing that and her remembering how much she loved them when she was a kid. Her mom had like a stack of them in like the late 40s. And she kind of had that moment of like being able to share that with me. And she was so excited that I was into it that from then on, like anytime we'd go to that pharmacy, anytime we would go to the store, she'd always pick up a digest or a comic. And I had a massive collection of them myself that as a kid... So they were always, you know, in the back of my mind for forever. And then when I was graduating college, I saw on the college job board that there was a um, internship listed at Archie. And I couldn't believe it because even though I grew up reading them, I didn't realize how local the company was to me. And it was sort of that moment of like, oh my God, (laughs) I have to, I have to try this. Um, So I had an interview, I started interning. I interned for about a year, Um, half of that way I kind of moved from intern to part-time work and I always say they liked me and they kept me around and and the rest is history from there
0: that's great yeah so I I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast but yeah you reminded me uh, my dad had a lot of um, you know of the Archie floppy comics and we read the digest growing up and recently I was going through me and Brandon were going through some of his Archie comics and he had some other comics there in there too and he just had this grocery bag of comics and in there was just like he just had a loose like Luke Cage number 1 and I'm like dad you have some comics in here <laughs> that are like could be worth a little bit of money you know you <laughs> So it was just really cool getting to see um you know someone else's collection uh and you know getting to share that memory with my dad for sure
2: Yeah awesome Yeah I always wished I could have seen that collection that my great-grandmother had cuz I can only imagine what
0: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> oh, gems God.
2: were in that from back then
1: well, uh, we were also wondering if you could describe um, a little bit about your role now. Obviously, you've come a long way since being an intern at Archie Comics. Could you talk a little bit about um, some of your responsibilities with Archie now and, and your, your title and your role?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been there now for over 10 years. So I've I've worn quite a few hats over my time. I started just doing proofreading, working more in the editorial assistant capacity. But uh, now I'm the senior director of editorial and what that means is I oversee the concept and production of all of the floppy comics that are in the new and the horror um, sort of genres. So a lot of the horror stuff, any of the new horror one shots you see, those are all under my purview. I come up with some ideas. I gather pitches from writers. I go every step of the way from the conception to the production. I still do some proofreading, so I'm still looking it over you know, at the very end, too. All right. Um, I handle all of that as well as some back-end stuff. I still write a lot of copy for the company. I do a lot of, you know, the, the solicitation stuff you see, I'm usually writing the copy for that. So all of those little odds and ends, but the biggest meat of it is you know, producing the floppy comics.
0: Yeah, you, so thinking of copy, I'm you know, I have little experience writing copy and I have to do it sometimes for shows I'm involved in. And I was like, I didn't realize how hard it is to actually write a, a really good, succinct, piece of copy
2: <laughs> i am still perfecting it to this day i gotta be honest i've been doing that part of my job for almost as long as i've been there and i still pick up new pointers like especially with with the solicitation text i went for a while where i was writing too much of a synopsis and now i'm realizing like you need like like quick one-liner that people can see and get it and it's tough it's really tough
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. that short form writing that's kind of like my oh my gosh there's a cat <laughs> <laughs> she's made my night, night.
2: <laughs> yeah, she, she's the third
1: host yeah jane yeah she's actually uh she's the one that tells us what we have to read for the week
0: yeah
1: so. <laughs> i was just gonna say i, I love i personally love writing short form copy um that's what i do for a living i i write uh, advertising and marketing um so it's uh it's 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 funny the the, the division of labor yes
2: <laughs> yeah and that's that's tough work to do so i can mention on that <laughs>
1: Well speaking of writing, uh, you recently introduced us to a new character Cassie Cloud in yes. the Valentine's spectacular one shot um, fantastic art with Holly G um, and we 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 love that issue we talked about it yeah. on on the podcast and we love specifically that when we meet Cassie she already feels like a fully formed character and that almost like she's always existed so I was I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the experience of creating her and, and what it feels like to introduce a new character in the world of Riverdale. I guess both as a writer, but also working as a director of editorial.
2: Yeah, first of all, thank you for saying that, because that's always my goal, too, is to to never, you know, you never want a first appearance to be so much of just like introducing who they are. You want people to feel like they can get a, just a taste for what that character is as soon as you can. And what's challenging, especially with the classic style stuff, is you have five pages. So you have five pages to introduce this character, get people to know their name, who they are, what makes them different, what, you know, just everything they need to know about them. So that's quite a challenge to use that short of amount of space to get all of that in. And my thing is always just dive right in, you know? <laughs> and, you know, you don't have more than one page to get this new character out there. So if you can't, like, tease it a little bit first, put them in the first panel, first page. And that was something I really wanted to do with that. I wanted, you know, a big defining characteristic of Cassie is that she's tall. But I wanted that to not, that's just, you know, a part of who she is. That's, you know, she can't help that. I wanted it to show that people were magnetized towards her because she had such just a fun personality. And, you know, the whole thing with that character is she knows she's going to stand out, so she might as well, you know, go for it and give people a reason to to want to look at her and want to be near her. Um, so it was a lot of fun balancing that with the other aspect of it, whereas, like, she has this secret hobby um, that people don't know and they get to learn about her. So it was very much the mindset of, like, let's give her personality as everyone sees her first. So then by page three, when we have the reveal that she's into, you know, these tabletop gaming. yeah. This other thing, that'll feel like a fun twist, even if it's only within five pages. Um, and that's something we really strive on the editorial end to do with our writers, too, to be like, you've got five pages, so you got to make every panel count. And if there's anything that's a little too expository, you have to find a way to make that fit within the story that so it feels natural and in the moment.
0: Yeah, we're just such big fans, and then you know we're going to get a new cloud introduced right soon. Mm A new cloud, Uh, a brother, is that correct? Correct. Yes. Um, And again, we got to interview Holly G, and what a delight! She's She's wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, such a wonderful person, and I think a perfect fit for that story. And that's something we always talk about that we think, you know, y'all do a great job of at Archie Comics is matching uh, artists with writers. Yes.
2: Oh yeah, and that's always very intentional too. We're I'm so happy that Holly's back in the fold because her art. I remember so much of it from being a kid and and reading some of the, like, especially her Cheryl stories, those really stuck out to me. So it's so cool to have her back doing stuff. Um, she It's like she never left, but I feel like she's even better than she was at the time when I loved her and thought it was amazing. And what's so great about Holly especially is she falls in love with every script that she oh, has yeah. to do art for. And she... Doesn't just draw it because hey, this is the thing I have to draw. She really puts her all into it, and like she'll message me with like feedback about how excited she is about certain parts, and she'll ask questions, and she's just such a delight to work with.
0: And that's one of my favorite things is when you can see creators like really having a good time, and I mean that like it shows through the what they make, you know, that you can tell that they're really invested in what they're making.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I recently uh, got to read uh, Betty and Veronica's senior year, and uh, I love the Sandra, uh, Sandra Lana covers. They're so fantastic. And something that stood out to me about the story was that. Uh, you did a great job. You had the ability to give the characters individual growth, but it can it, it, like, informed the relationship between Betty and Veronica. And I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, what draws you to Betty and Veronica's characters.
2: Yeah. And thank you for saying that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that you have two people who are best friends who are polar opposites. And for so long, those kind of oppositional forces were what caused conflict between them. And I like exploring it from the angle of what if those opposites are what make them such good friends? What is it that they see in each other that, you know, kind of rounds them out themselves more? So what, you know, Betty might lack in confidence or being outspoken she has veronica as like an inspiration for that and and things of that nature so i think it's that sort of yin-yang approach that always draws me to betty and veronica
0: yeah i was i have been rewatching um daria recently and they have the big daria <laughs> the big daria like you know special where she's a senior yeah i'll just i don't know i'm i you know i'm way past my senior year of anything but <laughs> uh, i was having senior your vibes i guess recently <laughs>
2: I think that special might have subconsciously been in my brain for one I (laughs) pitched. Both
0: very fun stories.
1: So, over the past couple of years, it seems like there's been a big push from Archie Comics to publish more one shots and publish more, particularly one shot anthologies and horror one shots. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like that's something that's really happened under your leadership. And I can just say that like we personally love that. Um, and one of the reasons why we love reading those one shots is because it introduces us as Archie fans to not only characters we're unfamiliar with, but also uh, writers and illustrators who maybe are newer to the industry. And um, even just for the podcast, we get the opportunity to interview creators that we you know never would have been able to do before. Um, so I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about how that kind of push or, or that new focus on one shots Coming from, from Archie Publications, kind of, where, how did that come about?
2: So what you just said is such a huge part of it, too. You know, one of the things that we really always focus on is accessibility. And especially coming out of the pandemic and, and things just being so different, having to take such long breaks from books because there was just, you know, no printer to go to or no book market for them to go into. It really had us refocused, you know, how could we just dive back into these ongoing things? It it felt like it was just cutting off the possibility for new readers to come on board. And so it got us thinking of like, what would be the best way to not only always give something for somebody to jump on and start with, but to also have that ability to do that with creators as well. And so when I was thinking of it, I was like, you know, what I love about the one shot is you can pick up anyone and you don't need to worry about having to catch up with, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes. And we have this vast library of characters that it's hard to weave into some of these ongoing things, but we can spotlight really easily in either a short story within um, an anthology or just in a longer one-shot format with, you know, a few extra pages. So it was that nice way of giving something new to the audience all the time always giving people points of entry, but also being able to expand our roster of people we work with and characters we use. It just felt like it made the most sense across the board. And I love it. I love getting to work with so many different diverse talents on such a regular basis and just expanding, you know, who we work with and and what we do and having the option to have a lot more younger creators come on board who maybe won't have the chance to to have something in print somewhere else for a while. You know, we always have that point of entry for them as well. And, you know, when I was coming up with it, it felt really different. It felt really like, okay, we're making this decision. But what I kept using as my source was just the classic Archie model. The Archie main series ran for almost 700 issues before we rebooted. And it went on from, you know, in the 40s. But within that run, there were so many... Just short form things. So occasionally we'd have like a four issue mini, sometimes two issue, but for the longest time it was just 20 pagers or anthologies. So it felt like just returning to what we had always done best.
1: Yeah, that kind of short
0: form story t- storytelling is like in Archie's DNA.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And one of my favorite things about the Archie Wikipedia entry is that it says volume one is like how many years? <laughs> and it says <laughs> volume two, 2015. It's. Uh- yes. Yeah, great. Um, and, and, and another thing, Archie Comics—I uh, feel like they're really good at—is um, meeting the readers where they're at, especially with things like uh, embracing digital comics mm-hmm. so early, maintaining a strong newsstand presence, and selling direct to the consumer. Uh, it's it's kind of unique in the industry. Uh, what what do you think enables Archie Comics to be so accessible and forward-thinking in in terms of business? You know, its business model.
2: You know. We we are one of the longest running mom and pops, so to speak, <laughs> that there are. We are still an independently owned and operated company, still a family owned business. And if we're not trying everything, then we're not doing anything. You know, we don't really have the luxury of just sitting around and hoping that, you know, something's going to come our way. We always have to be looking at what's happening now and what might be happening next and doing whatever we can in our power to get ahead of it. And, you know, that that was definitely the case with like uh, digital comics and day and date. That was something we saw on the horizon and we saw our ability to make happen. So we did. And it's just something we always try to stick with because, you know, again, there could be an audience there. Right. Like we might not know it yet, but if that's a place where we could have people who want to read our books and are able to do it, why should we not have that access for them?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, you know, for us who we like to read stuff that's newer, but we also like to go back and read stuff that's older. Um, and I think, you know, Brandon can speak for himself, but I like reading some digital, but I mostly read physical. Mm-hmm. But it's been so cool when I can't track something down, I can go on something like Comics Unlimited. And there's so much, you know, um, there's, there's so many Archie stories. That I'm like, oh, I can find this older Archie story that I couldn't find at my, you know, <laughs> my local shop.
2: Yeah, that's the other thing too. We have so many fans around the world. And we have so many fans of different age groups that we want to make sure we can hit every market the best way we can. So if, you know, shipping costs are, you know, cost product uh, prohibitive for people, if digital just, you know, isn't something that they're familiar with, we never want to have too much in one direction. So people feel like they can't, you know, get our books. So whatever way we can find to do it, we're always happy to try.
1: Well, obviously it's been enormously successful. I mean. Archie Comics, you've sold over 2 billion comics worldwide, I think. Um, these characters have thrived um, and become icons in, in their own right over 80-plus over years. And you, know, you just touched on some guiding principles kind of from the business side, but I was wondering if there are any guiding principles that Archie follows when it comes to the storytelling part of public publishing.
2: Yeah, I know um, one of the biggest mottos we had, especially when we did the relaunch in 2015, was do no harm. And that's something we really keep in mind. So, obviously, you're going to see a ton of crazy scenarios when it comes to the horror stuff or anything. that You know, these characters are sort of a lot of rough situations. But one thing we always make sure is that their intentions are good and their hearts are in the right place. Even if they're doing something bad, it's never because, oh, we've just decided that this character is bad now. They always are looking, you know, Archie is always a hero, even if he's making mistakes. That's always been a guiding principle. And just keeping the core of who the characters are. You know, they all have so many personality beats that people really associate with them that's led them to be so iconic and recognizable for years. We don't want to abandon those. Those are there. Those are important. If we start flipping the script now, then we're not, then we're just telling random stories and just retrofitting these characters in. So these stories are always going to be super character driven. And when we're, kind of bringing back these old characters that never really had enough time to shine or people might not be super familiar with their personalities will take certain elements of their character history. Make sure that's touched upon in some way, but we'll use these books to also really sort of flesh out a voice for them now that they have it. So an example for that is our Jinx character. You know, Lil' Jinx was this mischievous little kid. And you know, we we did a bit of a reboot of her about 10 years ago where she was a preteen, and she was still kind of mischievous. She was still kind of coming to her own, finding herself. It was very much a coming-of-age story. We've had her becoming now sort of this, like, horror hero. Yeah. And part of that, though, is she's still young. She's still only, like, 14. She's thrown into this wild thing where, we're like, her dad is Satan. It, it's all this crazy stuff. But who is Jinx in all of this while navigating it? Still mischievous, still really funny. Still, you know, kind of sarcastic. All those things that you can go and pick up a little Jinx comic from the 60s and see about her personality, you're going to see in the horror comic that's coming out this week where she's performing an exorcism on Jughead. It sounds so bizarre to say, but those, like, aspects of her personality were just defining more and fleshing out while throwing her into these wild situations. So when we have a character that doesn't have as much, we we give it a little bit more of a voice, but always built on Something that came before, and the ones that do have defined personalities, we make sure those stay intact with whatever situation the characters are thrown in.
0: And yeah, and I got a little sneak peek at the uh, you know the, the Jinx issue coming out this week, and she definitely gets herself in a situation <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I you you touched
1: on this a little bit, but I, I'm just I'm always amazed with Archie Comics and and y'all's ability to maintain brand consistency, not only through the wide variety of of stories that you're telling now but also throughout history and you know you look at a lot of other comics publishers and they try really hard to kind of maintain that brand consistency and seeing it done not so well just reminds me how hard it is to execute well um yeah. so i just i just love that um this is really a question more of just a compliment i just <laughs> love archie comics ability like whether it's through art or whether it's through the creative team choice mm-hmm. or whether it's through exactly what we were talking about about how characters are depicted There's kind of a consistency to the point where, like, when you pick up a digest and half the stories are, like, from the 70s and half the stories are from five years ago, you don't get that kind of juxtaposition. It all feels of a whole.
2: Yeah, no, that's so true. And if you really, like, if this is your first book you ever pick up, if you're a kid and you really don't know, you're not as familiar with, you know, identifying what story came from when, especially if it's not super of its time. A reader might pick that up and not even realize that there could be like a 40 year gap from one story to the next, you know, especially with the art styles being as consistent as they are, but also that sense of humor, that storytelling, you know, it's we definitely have have kept that consistency.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of exciting comics coming out this summer. And we're, uh, you know, we're super excited about Camp Pickens. We got to talk to Jordan earlier this year, and that was great. And actually, I think we got to talk to him. Literally y'all were announcing it while we were about to interview him. So it's like <laughs> um, perfect that was to awesome. To him. So yeah, we're super excited Camp Pickens. But also, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the just announced Strange Science. Can uh, could you talk to us about some of the fun stuff that's coming out over the next few months?
2: Yes, absolutely. We've got we've got quite a few things. So as I mentioned this week, um we have Jinx Accursed Life. And that'll be out in comic shops. That is a story about Jinx uh performing an exorcism on Chicago. <laughs> um is a lot more to it than that. I know that sounds like a really funny, just sort of tagline for it. It's a fantastic book. It's got so many amazing moments. That's written by Magdalene Visaggio with art by Craig Sirmack. Um they've worked together in the past. Last year we had Jinx Grim Fairy Tales. Um, and they worked on the story for that, and it really picks up the thread from there. Um, she mentions in that that she wants to play in a band, and her friend Danny is in that band. That gets picked up a little bit in uh, the recently released Free Comic Book Day book that came out um, where Jinx is sort of acting as this horror host and Danny kind of keeps spoiling all of her plans of like being spooky and mysterious. This book um, really puts the spotlight on their friendship just sort of navigating these things while also telling this scary and hilarious story. Um, and then as announced today, we're going to continue... Both of their story, but especially Danny's, in Strange Science, which is on sale in August. And that's a sci-fi horror. So that's um, paying homage to the 90s series, Dilton Strange Science, where Danny Malloy was introduced. Uh, but this time, it's Danny's story. And it's about time-ending. It's about going back into the past and confronting things from the past and just sort of creating this weird Riverdale where everything gets messed up because of time travel. Um, and it is also the story where we reveal that Danny is transgendered and we kind of get an idea of her transition and what she went through. Um, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's not in any way sort of like an after school special or anything like that. It is just a straightforward science fiction, just story. It's amazing. Um, I can't wait for everybody to read it because it is one of the most beautiful scripts I've ever read. And it's crazy to think that like a sci-fi horror can <laughs> have that kind of an emotional impact. But. It's so well-written, and we have Butch Mappa on art for that, and he did some work with us for this past year's Happy Horror Uh He's wonderful. He's so um, detailed in his approach to everything. I think people are really, really going to love that book. Um, I do hope they read A Cursed Life. You're not going to be lost if you don't read that first, but you know, I think you should have the whole trilogy <laughs> in some way to get into it. Before we get to that, we have, as you guys mentioned, Camp Pickens. Um, that is one of the most fun books that, that I've worked on in a while. Uh, I was really excited to work with Jordan Morris again because he worked on Pop's Chocolate Shop of Horrors. And he's just fantastic. Um, he, you know, I had an idea for a while ago where it's like there's got to be some kind of campy camp horror because that's such a well-known trope, especially in teen horror. But also Archie stories are so well known for in the summer taking place at camp. It was just like, we have to do this. <laughs> right. So that one is an anthology that also has um, Kim and Mike Norton on a story, oh, okay. which was a personal just sort of bucket list thing for me because Revival was one of the most defining comics of what I like in comics <laughs> and what, you know, I consider like a masterclass in storytelling. So that was like a little personal checklist thing for me. Um we also have Blake Howard and Carola Borelli working on the story. And I believe I didn't mention it before, but Diana Camaro is doing the art on Jordans. And it's so much fun because it's um, three stories all set within this camp, all set within the same time frame in the summer. But you you get different kind of genres. So you have a straightforward slasher story. You have this kind of weird, almost sci-fi fantasy um, creature feature, and then you have like a classic campfire stories haunting tale um where we just wanted to hit all of the the sort of you know biggest hits greatest hits when it comes to any type of horror like that and that one is just so much fun and i'm really looking forward to uh people checking that one out it's a perfect summer story
0: yeah it makes yeah, i it, again it makes me look forward to the summer i am a teacher so i do get to you know i have lots <laughs> of reasons to look forward to the summer <laughs> but it, yeah, you know, think of being a teacher. I'm a music teacher specifically, and it just seems like uh, you know Riverdale has really good funding for music education because everyone seems to know how to play some yeah, sort of instrument,
2: that, and they all seem to be really good at it too. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. I love it. I, this is this is a theme that we've come back to again and again uh, just over this conversation, but these characters are are so malleable to different situations and different genres, and they also can just appeal to so many different people. From different backgrounds from different cultures um and and archie comics just as a business has had so much success in markets outside of the us um i would just love to hear your thoughts on like what you think because usually that that's something we usually only see with like sort of um, superhero archetypes and and those kinds of of pop culture icons you know what is it about these characters that like ordinary high schoolers can become so iconic and so resonant with so many different people. Like, what, what is it? What's the secret sauce there, you think?
2: A big part of that is, especially when you look at the classic stuff, there's always this element of, like, Riverdale is this super inclusive place. It's also just this sort of utopia at times. It's a very idyllic place where everybody can get along, but everybody from different walks of life can just kind of meld together easily without conflict. Um, and then when you have those super recognizable character types, it's just, it's a comfort. There's that comfort food aspect of it. We're like, even when we change as a company, even when we do the unexpected, even when we send that on its head and it stops being a utopia and starts becoming this dystopian place, and we do all of that, there's comfort in knowing that these characters are still true to their core and still who they were for these past 80 plus years. And I think because we simultaneously continue to publish these new, more challenging and different stories, as well as still giving tons of archival material with the classic stuff and things, new stories in the classic um, setting, no one ever has to feel left behind. You know, if you're not into the horror stuff, that doesn't replace the classic. That's still there for you. And I think it just really goes into that comfort food aspect where people can know to some extent what to expect and be happy with what they get but it's just like a reliable friend that never goes away <laughs> it's...
1: yeah and, and that kind of comfort slice of life comics is honestly something that you you tend to get more in, in things like manga and anime yeah. and a little bit less in american comics and so the fact that like i don't know i go to archie for that um because i feel like you all are are not only doing it better than most but it seems like you're a lot of times the only ones doing those kinds of stories.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely it too. There's there's so few like that out there, and we've you know we keep doing it because we know that there are people. We know that at any given time there's an eight year old walking into a store with their parent that will discover this book and start reading it, and because you are so often somebody's first comic. We don't ever want to lose that. We could be your first and then you can return to us and we'll still be there. And that's so in our DNA and something we really try to keep doing as much as we can.
0: And, you know, thinking of manga and uh, influence, we did get to see Archie and some robots recently. (laughs) That was fun. Which was such a fun. (laughs) Yeah, that was another example of like such a good team. Yes. Uh, Like Daniel and um, Mm -hmm. it's Ryan Jampoli. Correct. correct, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What a great team. Uh, so much fun. And and like you're saying, they fit so much in a few pages uh, and it's so successful.
1: That one a little bit less so slice of life, though. I
0: think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends on your slice of life. Right? Yeah. But, you know,
2: that was such a departure from the norm in style and in type of storytelling. But what did you have? The love triangle? You had just, you had yeah. all of the things you expect there just in a way you didn't expect to see <laughs>
0: 100 oh, yeah. yeah you get you get all those familiar relationships yeah and you know we gushed and, over that one <laughs> and jason's in a cutoff yeah, uh, crop top, right? yeah. as he should be yeah <laughs> so yeah we're ordered so we're you know we've been doing this archie thing for a little while and we're we feel like we can never run out of stories to explore and that's kind of the hard thing is like you know where do we go next we're wondering if you had any suggestions for like a quarter of archie that we should explore
2: oh gosh wow <laughs> that's a big one um i think my big question is what you know obviously if you guys already like this but is there a blind spot you guys think you've ever had to something that we've done but you maybe haven't completely gone into yet as opposed to you know obviously if you know you love something you're gonna really do it but is there anything that you just been a little bit out of your reach or out of your tastes
0: so um i don't even know if uh, out of taste but just that's we're not familiar with. Two things I could think of is, you know, something we're not as familiar with is Josie and the Pussycats. Okay. And then also Cosmo, someone we don't, we don't really know anything about. Cosmo, Cosmo is
2: absolutely. I believe you guys spoke recently with Vin, correct? Vin Lavallo. That's yes. dad. Cosmo is his baby through and through. Um, And he put so much love into the project when we did it. But that's a fantastic character because we do have archival material for it. We've released graphic novels from like its original run in, I think, the 60s or 70s. And Vin had such an amazing vision of bringing it into the modern era that, like, it's that same thing. There are certain elements of it that are reminiscent of the classic, but he took it into this, like, really new, really fun place. It's, you know, Cosmos from Mars. It takes place in outer space. So it has that science fiction element, but it really is just, like, fun action adventure. Um, It's just a lot of laughs, a lot of, you know, very animated quality to it um highly recommend (laughs) diving in on everything we've done for cosmo because that is just it's just fun you know you guys said how much you liked the archie and friends all action i think of cosmo as sort of like an extension of that it's very much that same kind of energy
1: awesome yeah yeah thank (laughs) you well jamie before we go i just wanted to give you the opportunity to not only tell people who are listening where they can find you or follow you online but also, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure got plugged? Um,
2: I think the only other thing is coming this September, we have our first graphic novel collection of the most recent horror anthology, One Shots. Yeah. So that's that's going yeah. from when we kind of started doing these towards the end of 2020. It's just the first four or five, or actually five or six, I should say. Um, it's a great starting place if you haven't yet, you know, took the leap into the Archie horror world as it's been for the last year or two um it's it's an it's a true anthology collection we have some of the one shots that are 20 pages but there's a lot of shorter stories if you like any of the classic anthology collections kind of like the creepy comics of the past and ec stuff we're very much leaning into that style just with a modern sensibility um i really really it's a beautiful book we've already got the design done i it's definitely going to be a collector's item i really hope everybody checks that out um great place to start and, you know, it, it's the perfect time to do it because we still have so much more horror coming out. That, that It's a great way to start getting caught up. It's also good, too, because so many of our one-shots have been selling out. It might be the only way you're going to be able to access some of those comics as well.
0: I, you're saying the right words for me. I mean, I love Archie <laughs> Horror <laughs> Thank so you. much. So, so, so excited. And
1: Thank we you. love having trades on the shelf. So. You'll oh, want to yeah. display this
2: one. <laughs> it's got beautiful cover art from Robert Hack. And he's just—he's oh. amazing. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: And you know, just going Robert Hack a little bit. You know, I—I I, I was introduced to him through the horror stuff, but going back and seeing some of his earlier variant covers, I didn't. Just, you know, I just, of course, he's such a great artist, but he just so his—he can style can look so many different yeah. ways. He Doesn't? Yeah, he's very. Um, what word am I trying to think of? Uh, yeah, he's just. I didn't realize I hadn't seen him do much other than horror. So it's really cool to see some of his uh, variant covers for comics from like our uh, the rg 2015 series yeah and no like he's that.
2: he's fantastic he's got a great range um but i know his heart i feel like really pulls him towards horror and it shows so <laughs> we're always happy to have him on
1: well jamie thanks again so much for joining us this was such a wonderful conversation
2: likewise thank you so much
1: thanks again to jamie for joining us and be sure to follow her online she's at jamielerotante.net she's also on twitter at jemitha and her Instagram is Jamie Lee Rotante.
0: And make sure you pick up Jinxed a Cursed Life this week at your local comic book store.
1: And as always, you can follow Archie and me on social media as well Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Thanks for
0: listening. Bye. I'm nobody or Veronica.